Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am very excited to bring you our special guest today, my friend, Ray Higdon. Ray Higdon is the best-selling author of Time, Money, Freedom, and a highly respected expert who works with high achievers to help them master their emotions and reach their full potential in business and in life. Specifically, in the last five years, get this, he's helped his clients generate over 300,000 new customers. His podcast, Home Business Profits, has had over 9 million downloads and gets about 160,000 downloads every single month. His company, Higdon Group, has been recognized as an Inc. 5000 company and hosts annual events with as many as 2,000 people live and nearly 7,000 registered online. Speaking of events, Ray has trained at one of our three-day team retreats a couple years ago and always delivers tremendous amount of value. So, Ray, it's an honor and a privilege to get to have you on the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on here. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I've shared a little bit of your background there. Can you just kind of elaborate on your background and how you got to where you are today? I mean, I really see it as two phases, but other than a brief period, there's one kind of constant. I stay a student. And uh, so I'm constantly working on myself, constantly still, you know, I still, you know, meditate every day. I read books every day. I'm, I work on myself every day. But there's really two different journeys, you know, the journey from government worker to making more money, climbing out of foreclosure and going from foreclosure to making millions of dollars. And then the other very different journey has been the inner journey, the self-discovery journey. And you think that you have to discover everything to create a lot of success. And that's actually not true. There's a lot of really, really successful wealthy people that they don't know who's driving the bus. They don't know their programs. They don't know their paradigms. They don't know um, how to locate joy. They just know how to hustle and grind. And so it's been kind of two journeys for me, the learning of how to get out of foreclosure, get out of being broke, get out of that kind of situation, but also to go from someone successful struggle with joy, struggle with presence, struggle with relationships to all of those areas being a whole lot better, which is a way better feeling and place to go into than the money. Not that they have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. Thankfully they don't have to be mutually exclusive, like you said, but that is a great point you make. It's just money alone without those things is not the end all be all like some may think it is until they get there. And you mentioned foreclosure. I'm going to jump back to the foreclosure story, if you don't mind, in just a second. But first, I shared a little bit of your success, and I know I'm only scratching the surface. You truly have had a tremendous amount of success. What would you say is one of the keys to your success? Definitely being the student, being a humble student. I mean, literally every coach I've ever had has told me that I was the most coachable person they'd ever worked with. I mean, I've worked with a lot of different people, but a couple of them that I think people would know is, you know, I hired Grant Cardone, gave him a hundred grand for six hours of his time. And 
you know, we had one meeting and he, he really rattled my cage of all the different things he wanted me to do. And meeting two, I had done all those things. And he's like, really? Wow. John Asaraf has been a great coach for me. And, uh, you know, again, these guys are constantly saying that you're so coachable because I'm constantly looking to improve. And so I would say that's the biggest thing. And that will take you anywhere because it's not just learning of business strategies, but it's learning of different ways of thinking, different ways of looking at things, different ways of transformation, different ways of achieving goals. There are things that I know now that, man, if I knew 10 years ago, man, I could have created so much more and I don't feel bad about it or anything, but it's just like, you can learn how to achieve a lot easier. It doesn't have to always be a hustle and a grind. I love that. And just the value, like you said, of, of paying for training and paying for coaching and mentorship and masterminds and all those things. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. Kind of an off the wall question, but you said you paid Grant Cardone a hundred grand for a few hour meeting. What do you think you've invested into training and coaching and that whole space of growth? Not to mention all the countless hours, I'm sure, and all the books you've read and all the things you've done outside of that. I can tell you this, 2012 was the last year I spent less than 100 grand on my own education. And I believe the most I spent in a year was over 300 grand. Wow. I don't know if there's a total, I mean, it's definitely seven figures, no question, but it is a little easier now, right? Because you take some of the money that you make and invest it, you know, in the beginning, it's tough if you're not making any money, right? Investing in yourself, it's actually a lot more to do with you believing in yourself that you'll execute what you learn more than just even believing in the person you're hiring, believe it or not. I know I'm an implementer and I know that when I hire someone, it's for a specific reason. And unless I'm just hoodwinked, you know, unless they're just full of it, which I haven't experienced, then I'm going to get what I came for. And that's going to make it a wise investment. I'm just thinking of our listeners who may be listening going, hey, I'm struggling, you know, I'm bootstrapping my business. I'm struggling just to pay the electric bill. And you're talking about six figures a year in, in training. What would you say to that person? There's four steps to hitting whatever goal you have the fastest. And from studying a lot of stuff and testing a lot of stuff, I found that there's four steps that will get you wherever you want the fastest. And so, you know, number one is know what you want, right? What is it? What do you want? A lot of people, they know too well all the things they don't want, but they don't actually know what do they want right? They're like, I just don't want to be frustrated. It's like, that's not an answer. I just don't want to be broke. Also not an answer. Like, what do you actually want? Do you want that live in a certain neighborhood? Do you want a certain house? Do you want, you know, car or whatever, right? You got to know what do you want. Then number two is you have to convince your logical mind and your logical part of your brain that you're doing work to progress toward that goal. Most people, they can't conceive how magic they are. So you do have to appease this part of the animal. You have to appease the logical brain that is going to do the work to get there, or it's very unlikely that you'll get there. So are you doing the work? 
if you're not, and the work is, you know, if you're wanting to lose weight, it's work out, it's eat less. If you're wanting to make money in sales, it's talk to more people, it's do more follow-ups, it's do more presentations. If you're wanting to make more in real estate, it's tell more people that you're a realtor, ask them if they're looking to buy or sell, ask for listings, homes, pipeline, right? And then number three, which is the hardest part, is you have to stop dwelling on your missteps. You have to stop dwelling, repeating, sharing, getting emotional about all the things in your life that are not what you want. This is the hardest part because people will say, well, dude, I'm just telling it like it is. And you know, when I was in foreclosure, when I was $1 million in debt, meaning a homeless person was literally a million dollars more than me. They were worth a million dollars more than me. Right. When I was a million dollars in debt and in foreclosure, I did. I told it like it was for a while too. And telling it like it is keeps it like it is. And so dwelling on your missteps, justifying where you are, keeps you where you are. That's the hardest part is you have to stop that because your language is creating your reality, your personality. Like my friend, Dr. Joe Dispenza says, your personality is creating your personal reality. How you think, act, and feel is creating what's outside of you. And so you have to stop dwelling on your missteps, stop dwelling on the comparison, stop dwelling on how bad life is and how you know you don't understand and why I bother and all of these things. And then step number four, which is something I, you know, I just didn't know years ago, but step number four is mental rehearsal. How much time are you spending in your imagination being the person you wish you were? How much time are you spending in your imagination and literally visualizing yourself as that person having those things, doing those things, being that thing. And so if you're spending more time predominantly with that vision of yourself in the future, then you are noticing all the missteps and noticing all the things in your life you don't want, then you are absolutely going to accomplish that thing. And, you know, this isn't hype or something. I mean, this has been proven. One of the studies out there that was pretty cool is uh, they call it the piano player study and, you know, had different groups and, you know, one group, I'm just kind of shortening it here, but one group, they were taught how to play the piano, just very basics. And they were told to practice every day for 15 minutes. And another group, they said, okay, we want you to go home. Do not touch a piano. We want you to just practice in your mind. And so when they brought them back, they ran the CAT scan, they looked at the brain scans, and both had grown in the exact same places. Your brain doesn't know the difference between rehearsal, between a memory, or the actual event. And the one that had the pianos and actually physically played them improved by 23%, and those that imagined playing the piano improved by 21%. Incredible. And so, you know, there's a lot more of these kind of studies out there. But when someone tells me, I want to be a millionaire, I want to be a top earner, I want to be a rock star, whatever, I ask them, how much time have you spent being that? And they're usually like, what do you mean? Well, have you visualized yourself on stage? Have you visualized yourself in the neighborhood? Have you visualized yourself and not of, but from, right? Are you seeing through your eyeballs in your imagination of what would that millionaire be looking at? What are you actually seeing in your life? And I've done this in quite a few areas of my life now, not just financial, but I can tell you to me of all the things that I've studied, those are the four steps to reach an unreasonable goal for the fastest, no matter where you are. Love it. So it's great advice. Mind is a powerful instrument that we can use for good or destruction, depends on how we choose to use it. I love that. 
Would you mind, before we jump into some other questions, just sharing a little bit of that story? I mean, just the Cliff Notes version of the foreclosure story. Was that the 2008 real estate crash? I think we have that in common, not the foreclosure part, but being heavily vested in real estate yeah. and flipping homes and all that when 2008 came along. So I know it very, very well. But could you just share that brief version of that with our listeners? I want to then ask you some questions surrounding that challenge or any other that you might want to discuss. Yeah. So it started off, I was working in a cubicle at an insurance company, making decent money, you know, for someone that never finished college. And so, you know, I'm making decent money, but I'm I'm just miserable. It just sucks. You know, you just work in a cubicle. It just, I, I didn't like it. And if you're listening to this and you're in a cubicle and you love it, then awesome. That just wasn't for me. And so I saw some of my friends from high school that were killing it in real estate, just making it happen. And I just thought, I'm like, if these knuckleheads can do it, I can too. I got to be able to figure this out. And so I started studying, you know, so I, I got a couple of books. I started just really going all in on it. And so what that looked like in the beginning is, is I stopped having lunch with my coworkers and I started studying on my breaks. Then eventually I would be making phone calls during my breaks, right? So I would bring my own food. I stopped eating out with them. Stop really hanging out with them. I let every spare moment consume my time. And then there was a guy at that job, Kyle. He was like, hey, man, I'm thinking about opening a dollar store. You want to go in on me? You want a partner? I'm like, dollar store, dude. Come on. In hindsight, that probably was a good idea. But I'm like, dude, you got to do real estate, man. Let's work together in real estate because we work together well. And so we start buying low-income rental homes, ghetto properties, but the math look great, right? So I remember one of our best deals, we bought two triplexes on Polk Avenue, right in the heart of the ghetto. And the two triplexes were 198,000 total for both. And they rented for 800 a unit. So 198,000, 4,800 rent. That's solid. That's really good. And so we're rock and rolling. We're buying, you know, a couple single family homes, but mainly duplexes, triplexes, you know, et cetera. And we pulled equity out of our home to do this. And we tried to get in for as low money down as possible. And so, you know, fast forward a year or so, and this was 2004, 2005, I leave that job. I think he may have left in 2006. And so we acquire 37, right? We have 37 rental units, all of them cash flowing at least 100, 150 bucks a door. Some of them three, 400 bucks a door. And so we're, we're off to the races. I had also figured out that the deals that we didn't buy, I could flip. And so I would get properties under contract. I would assign them out and, you know, and sell them. And so, you know, we got these rental properties over here. I'm moving like 10, 12 properties a month on assignments. And in the beginning, it was like, I didn't know how much to ask. So I was like 2000, sell the contract for two grand. And then it got up to really big numbers. When I was negotiating bigger properties, my biggest was 75 grand. I sold a contract, just the contract for 75 grand. They closed on it. And so just rocking and rolling, man. And then all of a sudden things changed and the deals, like we would go to sell a deal and people just couldn't get financing. So all of a sudden stuff isn't closing. All of a sudden construction stops. All of a sudden the workers leave. All of a sudden what we used to rent for 800 bucks a month. Now we have a sign out there. I mean, I remember putting a sign out on Thanksgiving day and getting 50 calls a day. And now we're putting a sign out and nothing, days, weeks. So things that were renting for 800, we can't even rent for 500 now. So now we're under on each and every one of those, just hammering away at our savings. So it was tough. So my partner, 
he went back to a job and I tried to put all the money that I'd ever saved into trying to save these things and got wiped out. And eventually I just came to my senses and like, dude, I can't do anything for him. There's nothing I can do here. And so lost everything, went through a divorce, went through foreclosure. At one point was sleeping on my buddy's couch and, and I was just messed up. I didn't know what I was going to do. It was actually, strangely enough, it was something having nothing to do with business or finance, but it was actually me reconnecting with my dad after going to a three-day seminar. It was me reconnecting with my dad that I hadn't talked to in 13 years, who had never met his grandsons, who were nine and 10 at the time. That's actually what created a different energy for me to show up. And I got invited to check out a network marketing company, which I did not want to do. But my credit shot, I'm broke, I'm deep in debt, I got two credit cards that I haven't figured out, I'm not paying them. And I'm like, I'm going to make this thing work. And so long story short here, you know, I went on to become the number one earner of that company, made millions of dollars with that company. Companies saw what I did on social media many years ago, and they wanted to hire me, started coaching training business, you know, that wasn't the plan, but people started hiring me and it just made sense and I enjoyed it. And here we are. Wow. How many years later now? From the time of going into coaching and training space? I mean, I never like coached anyone because I was just focused on building that company up until like 2013. So 2013 is when I really started offering coaching and training. I mean, I'd done courses here and there, nothing crazy. But 2013 is really when I started the whole coaching and training. Got it. Love it. When you were going through that process, I can only imagine the self-talk and the thoughts and the fears and just all the emotions that probably went on during that time. I don't know how much education, educating yourself in these areas of self-talk and personal growth and development, as we would call it, you'd done up to that point. But what was your self-talk during that time? Was it a grind? Was it a struggle? I mean, what was that like? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just felt like a loser. I just started like avoiding even looking in mirrors because I felt like such a loser. And every time I would look there, I would just think I'm such a loser. In real estate, when real estate was rocking and rolling, I got arrogant. I'm just like, man, I'm making so much money. This is crazy. I'm, you know, and people are like, Ray, can I have lunch with you? Uh, I'm kind of busy. You know, I was just like an arrogant jerk. And so I, you know, I needed that humble pie. But there were many weeks, there were multiple days in, in that week that I would get blackout drunk. And I just didn't want to think about how stupid I felt anymore. And so I would just drink, 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 wake up, not know where I was. Not that that's a desired way of being for anybody, but looking back, you know, I had two kids and when I was going through that divorce, they were mainly with her because I was screwed up. And that's a couple of years of my life that I'll never get back in their childhood. You know, and I've apologized for that. We're now much closer than we've ever been really. And so, yeah, it was tough, man. During that time, Ray, when you were struggling, and I've had my own struggles in years past as well, going through hard things and hard times and not always making the right choices and turning to alcohol and just not doing the right thing, I'm ashamed to say. But what was it for you that snapped you? I'm going to use the word snapped you out of it. It pulled you out of it. How, how did you come out of that? Was it some kind of aha moment you had or what changed for you? Yeah. I mean, in 2009, I got invited to go and someone, it's very strange, you know, things just work out, right? But someone I didn't even know paid for me to go through a three-day seminar. And it was strange. I had never met them. I didn't know them. And 
I don't know why they did it. I mean, I still don't really know, but I go through a seminar called Landmark Forum. And, you know, I went there thinking, ooh, hopefully I'll learn something to make some money because that's what I need. And day two, I realized that I had repair relationship with dad on a to-do list with no priority. And so it was the second day of that event. I reached out to him and it was, I think, just the getting rid of past garbage, getting rid of resentment, anger, shame, guilt, whatever, hatred, getting rid of that stuff out of my system. It gave me a different view of the world. And it was literally one week after coming back from Indiana, which is where my dad lives. Uh, it was one week later that I was invited to that network marketing home meeting and I joined it and turned everything around. And I had every reason for not talking to my dad. I grew up in a very abusive home. I remember going to kindergarten with the bloody nose. I remember my stepmom was the abuser. I remember in the summer having to wear a turtleneck because the claw marks on my neck were so deep. And, you know, for most of my life, I slept in a ball because I was woken up every morning by my ankles being grabbed, thrown against a closet and stomped. And so uh, I just kind of learned that if I sleep in a ball, then at least I have some reaction time and I can come to my senses and prepare for the hit than because it really sucks when you're just woken by the hit. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I still had a lot of work to do after overcoming the financial difficulties, but now I love helping people overcome their stuff. And you're doing a great job of it. How do you feel looking back on those challenges in the context of obviously you've learned through them, you've grown through them, but just what is your view of the past challenges now on the other side of them? What is just in general, what is your view of them? I have a couple thoughts around them of without them, who would I be? And I love who I am now. And so for me to wish they didn't happen, doesn't sit right with me. Who would I be without those things? Maybe I'm the abuser. Maybe I'm the jerk dad if, you know, if I don't go through that stuff, you know, I don't know. And, you know, depending on your beliefs, one way I heard it said is some, when placed on this planet, have a big mission. And for them to develop the tools and weapons to accomplish that mission, they got to go through some stuff. And so, you know, no kid law of attracts abuse, right? No kid deserves that. Right. But. If you think about time differently and you start to think that maybe there are certain people here that are here for a really big you know, mission or reason or, or whatever, well, usually those people that inspire others have gone through some stuff. And so it's just a little bit different way of looking at it. And so I have three mantras that kind of run my life. Uh, number one is help the person you used to be. So for me, I know how to help the person that has been through trauma, has been through foreclosure, has been through divorce, has been a workaholic that was unfulfilled. I know all those things because those were me. I know exactly what it feels like. The second mantra is uh, we have to be as brave as the people who need us. And so this indicates that it's going to be tough, right? There are absolutely times in self-confrontation that wasn't easy. You know, there's a phenomenon that philosophers call the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul is when you observe and become aware of who you've been and you no longer want to be that. It's like a raging river, right, that you're attempting to cross. And it just wants to push you back to shore, push you back to the paradigms, push you back to the programs that you're so comfortable with and known and the familiar past. But if you're going to change, you got to cross the whole river. And so 
when you're thinking about the person who needs your information, they need you to cross. And so, like, I just believe that all of us can go out there and, and at least help the person we used to be, but we have to be brave to do that. And the third and, and final mantra is, let me never be too busy saving strangers to neglect my own. For most of my life, I've been really good with clients and customers and teammates and audiences and not a great mentor to my own kids. And the reason is I just never had a good role model. You know, I, I don't remember my dad playing with me one time. I don't, I don't remember one lesson he ever taught me. And, you know, not that that's an excuse, but I was putting parenting in this authority role versus a mentoring role. And I have zero good examples as a kid of an authority role. So it was kind of difficult, right? And so when I realized that my role everywhere to be congruent is mentor, then things improved. Love it. One of the things you touched on there is something that I definitely feel that I can relate with from my challenges is that it's given me a platform, if you will, to identify with people and relate with people that yeah. I wouldn't have otherwise. A lot of those things I would not choose to go through again, right. but I'm grateful for where I am today and the people I can help as a result of it, maybe said a different way. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, I mean, that's probably a, you know, a lot of advice we'd like to give our younger self, but what is one piece of advice you'd like to give your younger self before you hit a lot of the challenges and bumps in the road in, in adult life there? Um, I would say that there can be a purpose to your pain and just to paint a bigger picture. Yep. You know, I was suicidal multiple times in my life. And if I knew that, hey, some of this stuff I don't deserve and didn't ask for will actually serve something, will actually play a role in a positive way. You know, I endured it clearly, but I think I could have endured it better. Right. What is one piece of advice you would give to someone else who may be listening to this episode of the podcast and is going, man, they're in the middle of their storm. Maybe it's their divorce. Maybe it's their foreclosure. Whatever it is, what's one piece of advice you might share with them? I would say to just work on awareness and with awareness, you can step into a different role. You can step into the role of observer because you're not the mind and you're not your body. You can observe those things, but without observation and without awareness, you're just a passenger. You're just a passenger being driven around by your paradigms and your programs. And so the first step is for you to start to observe what are your patterns? Who are you? What do you think? What's your immediate reaction to stuff? And why is that? Versus most people, they are literally just sitting in the passenger seat and the program's just running the show and driving them up a cliff, off a cliff, which means having them quit a job, having them start a new thing, having them not trust this person. It's what makes every relationship the same, right? You go from one bad relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and you're the constant. And so start to work on your awareness of how am I showing up? What are my thoughts, actions, and feelings? What is it that I want? and start to really challenge yourself on why do I think this way? Why do I show up at home and then immediately drink a beer, right? Or whatever, whatever your things are. With that awareness, you'll have the chance of change. Love it. Good advice. Do you have a favorite success quote you might be willing to share with our audience? I always like Jim Rohn's, don't wish for things to be easy or wish for you to be better. 
that's such a great one. I'll go with that one. I love it. I love it, Ray. One of my favorites. Can you share just maybe one or more things that you're currently right now excited about, especially just looking forward, looking into the future, something maybe you're working on, a project or just something in general that excites you right now? I'll give you two. You know, we have our big event, you know, the end of this month, October 27th to 29th in Orlando. And we have Dr. Joe Dispenza, we have Russell Brunson, we have a bunch of other rock stars that are going to be there. And we have people coming from all over the world to attend live. And then we have thousands that will be on virtual. And so that's definitely dominating an area of my brain right now, for sure. Second thing is I'm one of uh, just a couple hundred people in the world that's been accepted to go through the process to become a certified trainer for Dr. Joe Dispenza. And so, you know, it's an interesting role. You build a multi-million dollar business and 5,000 business, whatever. And then you want to go train someone else's stuff. But I just resonate with who he is and what he does so much that I want to help spread the word. And I think there's industries out there, you know, network marketing for sure, that really need his work. I'm happy to be that bridge. By the way, your live event will have already happened by the time this goes live. But how can somebody, and I'll ask you here in a few minutes as we wrap this up, you know, how people can follow you and connect with you and all that. But that event, is that an annual event? Can you tell us about that for the next one? Yeah, our next one is in September of 2023. Okay. <laughs> so mark your calendars. It's, uh, I think, the 7th through the 9th, I believe. That'll also be in Orlando, Florida. But yeah, we do it annually. And we typically update the website at rankmakerslive.com. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, great. A few just quick questions here. What would you say is one a habit that has helped you become successful? I've always had a pretty solid morning routine. I mean, it's definitely changed over the years, but I would say having a solid morning routine, that's something that's been constant this whole time. Getting the day started right. What is the best piece of advice or one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received personally from someone? I would say, you know, this came from the best boss I ever had. And she said, if you really want something done, be willing to allow someone else to get the credit. It it serves you to ask, okay, do I really want this to get done? Or am I only doing this to get the credit? Which is, you know, a good question. Wow. That is a good one. That is a really good one. Our ego is not our amigo for sure. Love that, Ray. Thank you. What is one book that you'd recommend, one or more books that you'd recommend to our listeners of the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? I mean, I think a must read or listen to is The Feeling is the Secret by Neville Goddard. It's like 40 minutes on audio and it's awesome. It's one of the shortest books out there, but it is fantastic. I've listened to it probably a hundred times. And it's just all about how important mastering your emotions really is. All right. So the best way for anyone that wants to connect with you, follow along on your journey, plug into any of your trainings, what's the best way for people to contact you? Yeah, we're on all the main social media things. I think a lot of people like Instagram. So it's just at Ray Higdon on Instagram. I do a lot of videos. I do a lot of lives. I talk about overcoming a lot. I talk about how to overcome obstacles very often, how to help the person you used to be. So yeah, I would say Instagram at Ray Higdon. Appreciate that, Ray. And then any closing comment you might have or be willing to share before I let you go here? One of my favorite stories, someone that I just I just really, really respect, 
she was one of our contestants. We had two seasons of a reality show, just an online reality show. People came from all over the world and competed for a job with us. And this lady, and you know, I, I'm not good with ages. I probably should ask her at some point, but she's, I would guess, early 50s. It was a tough show because I got in people's faces. Like I really wanted them to transform. I had them selling stuff on the street. I had them going through challenges. Like I was really pushing them. And so this lady comes up to me and says, hey, I've never shared my story before, but I feel compelled to share it. And she shared with me that she had been sexually abused. She had been physically abused. She had been very badly mistreated in the foster care system, and she had even been trafficked. And so she'd never shared this. She had never done a video. She'd never publicly spoken at all. And so after loving on her, after hugging her, you didn't deserve that. I'm so glad you made it. I'm so glad you're here. I told her, I'm like, you know, with that story, you could really inspire a lot of people. Because a lot of people that go through that kill themselves. It's a very high percentage. And I said, you could start helping people. And I'm just throwing that out there. And so, you know, I, I do that to a lot of people. And, you know, some people do some, some people don't. The next week, she was speaking at a women's shelter abuse shelter. Wow. Prior to that, she had never shared her story with even people around her. She'd never done a video, never spoken. And then about three months later, she spoke at the International Conference Against Human Trafficking, ran by the Ohio State University, 19 countries tuned in. And she has just inspired so many people over the last few years that it's just so inspiring. And so know that you know, what you overcame and what you survived, there's value in that. And there's value in you sharing how you did it, you giving advice to the person you used to be. There's a lot of value there. And so don't let it just be a stain on your soul. You know, let it be the actual fuel that you use to create significance for yourself. And so that would be my last words. Oh, and a great last word. I love that. And she approached you and shared that. Why? Because you had apparently shared enough vulnerability of your past that she felt comfortable? Is that the kind of the story? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, people aren't going to be vulnerable with you typically unless they see that you care or that you've been vulnerable. And so vulnerability is really the ultimate courage because that's you running the risk of looking stupid and running the risk of being judged, running the risk of not looking good. And so you being vulnerable and sharing your different struggles is courageous. And that's what inspires so many people. I've noticed that 100%. The more I share, the more I'm vulnerable. And on episode one, I started off sharing a lot of the struggles and past challenges to kind of set the context for why this Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. And long before that, just opening up and starting to share, I have people come out of the woodwork just like that. Not such an amazing story as, what you shared, but people coming out of the word work and just sharing stuff with me that they would have never, I'm convinced they would have never felt comfortable sharing with me because it almost offered them permission and a hope that, Hey, here's someone who I can identify with maybe and won't judge right. me. Maybe that's a bigger totally. thing. So Ray, so much good stuff. I just cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your day to come on here with us. Just wish you all the best. You're an inspiration. Uh, I love following along on your journey and appreciate you, uh, again, sharing all your wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. 
You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.